Well, thank you, everybody. It's good to see you here, and it's good to be here. So that's great. Um, I trust those of you who were able to get away on holiday. I trust you had a great time. Um, most of my family managed to get away uh, away from the British Isles, and therefore they sent me photos of blue sky and evident sunshine and sand and sea. And so in return, I sent them this photograph from High Wycombe. <laughs> I wanted them to know they were getting value for money. Okay? You know, one day in August, you, some of you will not know this, but I'm telling you now. One day in August, some people, I'm not mentioning any names like my mum and dad. I'm not, some people even put the heating on. In August, in August. Well, I have to say, we had a discussion in our house about this, and that's as far as it got. So pray for my wife, please. Uh, well, having said all of that, Des and I went up to Norwich, and we spent a couple of days up there because the young people were there at an event for young people called New Day. Over 6,000 people, near 7,000 young people there, of which 70 were ours, and they had a brilliant team of helpers. And if you were one of those helpers, I just want to say a massive thank you. You did a great job. You gave a week of your life. It might have felt like that. You gave a week of your time. You did a terrific job. And they had a great time. I'm sure the parents would agree with me with that. So thank you. Much, much appreciated. Um, in addition to that, during August, we often find lots of visitors come, either here or down at um, the town center. And I've had so many visitors thank me for all the work that we do during the summer for the children's work and the creation, keep it going. And, um, and our teams are stretched because it's holiday season and they just tell me what a great time they have. So, big thank you to you. So if you've been involved with that, and I know it is a stretch, great thank you, brilliant. Acts chapter one is where we're going. So if you have a Bible, Turn to it. If you haven't, don't worry. Come up on the screen. But if you have, it really helps you to know your way around your Bible. Starts with these words. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So this is Luke who writes this. So he's the same writer who writes the Gospel of Luke, and he's writing Acts, the book of Acts here. After his suffering, this is Jesus, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they gathered around him and they asked the Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know 
the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Today at King's is what we call Vision Sunday. And uh, church vision is a little like the sign on a bus which has its destination and on the front. And if you're not used to getting the bus and you just got on the bus and you had to rush there, there may well be a moment where you go, am I on the right bus here? I don't know if you've ever done that. And particularly if the bus doesn't go the route that you normally would go. We've, as a church, grown. I'm not just talking numerically here, but the things that we do and that we are involved with as a community of people in our community and beyond has grown considerably. And consequently, we've had to revisit our vision, which is not actually as easy as it sounds. Our mission statement is to see ordinary people changed by Jesus change the world. That's a mission statement. But your vision statement is different. It's fuller, it's a bigger picture, There's much more to it. And as I said when we were doing our 40 days of prayer, we are, as elders, currently working on that at the moment. And yes, we do have a sense of where we're going. And yes, we do know what is important for us as a church. Yet shaping it into a clear and concise statement, you know, it it takes a bit of work. It's, 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 It's not as easy as you might think. However, first importance is not the where. And it's not the what. The first importance is the why. Why vision? Jesus had vision. What was the why of Jesus' vision? It was quite simply, it's people. It's people, my friends. That's why Jesus came. He came for people. Do you know, all sorts of people. All sorts of people. Uh, in 1976, I got this job as a teacher, a housemaster in a, what was known as a regional assessment center. So there were local assessment centers, and there were four regional cent- assessment centers in the country. We assessed young people who were deemed impossible to cope with within their locality. So their local assessment center couldn't cope. They Uh, Education authorities, social services, local police. It was just too much for them. They couldn't cope. And they would come to us. We had a maximum capacity of intake of 30 of these young people. And London was part of our catchment area. I can tell you, the atmosphere in that center was at times highly charged. Our role was to assess what would be the next best move. That's what we did, was the next best move for those children. They were not there voluntarily. They were there by court order. Some were one stage back from young offenders' prison. One of my tasks as a teacher was to sit around the table with social workers, psychologists, and educational experts, and we would, we, would, we would be working out what is the best next move. 
What's the best next move for these young people? And at that meeting, you would have what we used to call a pen picture. I believe now it's called a life story. And you get a life story, a summary of the life story, of the family background, the educational journey, all the needs there. And as you read that, it was not unusual for you to think, do you know what? This is a disaster from day one. Absolute disaster. All sorts of people Actually, these were life's big no-hopers. One boy came to us at the age of eight. He was being used as a juvenile for sexual favors in lavatories in central London for men. I know it's difficult, isn't it, to get your head around that? You would read some of these stories and it would make you weep. Absolutely make you weep. His social skills were non-existent and no clue how to hold a knife and fork. Couldn't sit at a table with other people without sending them mad. He was a walking time bomb. One boy I recall ran away with another of the boys and three days later he gave himself up. The conditions of the accommodation of which he had gone to with this other boy were so disgusting, he couldn't cope, and he handed himself in to the police. On a lighter note, um, we took a, a group of young, these youngsters up to London on a day trip. We had plenty of staff for these sort of things, you have to understand that. And we locked the car, the van, the minivan keys in the minivan. Oh, wow, what are we going to do with all these young people out in the streets here in London? I tell you, they were in that van and got the keys out in no time at all. I tell you, it's just uh, resources, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. A small handful were so disturbed, you could see that malevolent forces were at work in their lives. This place was the place... These, these are no hopers. And what I noticed was this. I noticed the number of Christians working in a place like this. Wanting to make a difference. And a thought struck me a little while later. It just struck me. Whoever prayed for these young people? Whoever prayed for them? Well, it might have been nobody out there. But in this group, there was these Christians working with them, getting, getting a hard time as well, and praying for these young people. I mean, it was really, as it's quite special, you know, when you think about it, it was really quite special. Jesus was constantly amongst no-hopers, written off people. No matter how hopeless, how dysfunctional, you'll find Jesus was there. The Apostle Paul says that he is the God of hope. He changes the unchangeable. He brings hope to the hopeless. You know, some of the stories you read in Alpha, in the prisons, and yet even in community, and people that you've had from work or whatever, and you get underneath the surface of their life, and you think, boy, heck, this is dysfunctional. This is dysfunctional. And you hear the stories, and this is what Jesus does. He just, he changes lives. He changes lives. It's the most wonderful Wonderful gift he gives us to us is life. And the truth is, do you know, we're all broken. We're all broken people. We just don't realize it. We're all dysfunctional. 
And Jesus comes in and changes our lives. We're all life snow hopers. And he makes the utter difference in our lives. He doesn't ask us to try harder. Perhaps an adjustment here or there. Doesn't do that. Jesus says you must be born again. You need a new life. Irrespective of the judgments of others, most people rule themselves out anyway. How many times, you must have heard this, do you know what, I'm not good enough to come to church. You must have heard that one. I hear that a number of times. Oh, I'm not good enough. Now, now it can be a cop-out, but actually some people really believe that. They're not good enough. They just don't realize that the church is made up of imperfect people. They haven't been here to Hazelmere and found out you know, the real truth. They haven't done that. You know, what's all that got to do with vision? I tell you everything, my friends. Jesus isn't giving a geography lesson here. Verse 8. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's not a geography lesson. That's about people. And first, it's Jerusalem. Why, why Jerusalem? Well, it's quite simple. They live there. That's why it's Jerusalem. You know, the Christians at that assessment center and they're praying and working amongst those young Why? Because it was right where they live. They're making a difference right where they live. Our vision is for this town. It's about people in this place. That's why we are here. You're not here by accident. Even if you just decided to drop in today, I'm telling you, you're not here by accident. God has deliberately deliberately put us here. Over 100,000 people in this High Wycombe district. Over 100,000. I mean, we can't get our heads around that number. We don't have, have a clue sometimes of the desperation of what looks like ordinary lives going on, the desperation behind closed doors where you don't even hear the silent screams, frustration and crying out. You know, even if you think your time is here is temporary, make the most of it. I'm asking you, make the most of it. If you, if you came here for economic reasons, if you came here for economic reasons, you know, and, and, and I agree, you know, High Wycombe is cheaper than London, that's valid. I'm fine with that. All I'm saying to you is, come on, make the most of it. Make the most of it. God has put us here by design. It's not a mistake. What's our vision? First, High Wycombe. This is our calling. Now, when I'm saying High Wycombe, I, you got it, haven't you? I, this is Hazelmere. It's, it's in the district. First High Wycombe. God gave us an open door here. This, we could not get anywhere, and then, then, bam! This place opened up to us. It was a gift to put a community of people amongst a community. Wow. First High Wycombe. And you will be my witnesses. In High Wycombe, I know it's not in your Bible, but you know, if everything had happened in Jerusalem, it had actually happened here in High Wycombe, it would be, and you'll be my witnesses in High Wycombe, Buckinghamshire, wherever, in our small group. So first, High Wycombe. In our small group guide, many, are, many of them are open to those outside the church. So the parenting group, 
It's for those who helps people outside of church. Mum's group, the homeless, learning English, five-a-side soccer, the fight club. I mean, I could go on, and if yours is not mentioned, please don't take uh, offense by that. But there are so many of them. And there are different prayer groups for what's going on outside too. And this, this is one that caught my eye. Catherine, would you just come up and tell us about it? Because I, I really like this, what you're doing. Hello. Um, so there have been times in my life when I have felt lost, an outsider, disliked or out of control. Maybe you felt like that too sometimes. I remember when I first became a Christian, realizing that Jesus was friends with people like this and more. People who really were on the margins of society people who had no good future and no hope without Jesus, tax collectors and prostitutes. And he would have had meals with them. He would have laughed with them and loved them. When I was about 20, I was involved in a church in Soho in London, and we ministered to some of the prostitutes and the women working in the strip clubs there. And, of course, we realized that they are just very ordinary women, but something had gone horribly wrong for them. One of these women became my friend, and then she just disappeared. For most of these women, they are sexually exploited by a violent pimp who also supplies them with drugs that they are addicted to. Unusually, for my friend Ricky, her pimp was her older sister. It was a very, very messed up family. How does somebody in that situation cope? We engaged with these women. We listened to them and served them. We showed them Jesus' love and they responded. He can break through the darkness and the hopelessness and give life and love. And I would like to introduce the women who work on the streets of High Wycombe to this amazing God of ours. My friend Ruth has a ministry like this in Luton, which is now in its 11th year and was set up with the aim of listening to, valuing and supporting sexually exploited women. And many women in those 11 years have been saved and transformed through this work. God spoke to me last year at New Day and challenged me about what I have been created for. I believe that God wants to use me, us, to reach these women and express his love, accept them as they are, help them in their desperate situation. But I don't want to do it alone. It will need a diverse team, including men, and we need to start by praying and listening to God, crying out to God and being directed by him. If it's not us, then who will it be? If it's not now, then when will it be? This is not about converts. This is about valuing people, being incredibly grateful to God and about doing what we are created for. What were you created for? It's great. 
Catherine, thank you very much. Jesus loves this town. And he wants this town to be blessed. And he wants this town to flourish. He wants this town to know its love and kindness. You're going to have to read my lips now. We are not going to stop looking outward. We're not going to do that. We are not going to stop looking outward. Churches often find themselves caught up with itself. And it loses its sense of direction. We are not going to stop looking outward. Next Sunday is Cap Sunday. We've seen 23 families unlocked from the burden of debt. 23 families. If you can understand what that is like, some of you might know. We are not going to stop looking outward. That's why we've gone down the route of other sites. That's why you are here, Hazelmere. We don't have to always expect people to come to us. We can go to them. You know, on the carol service, by the way, I just throw up the carol service, which is becoming apparently very well known in the town. So I thought I'd let you know that the dates are the 16th and 17th of December. The 16th is here. The carol service is here. We're having a carol service here, and we're having carol services down at the town center. We're going to where people are. So don't even now start thinking about who can I be bringing? Because being where people are. In the, you'll read in, in Jeremiah, you've got this. The Israelites were taken into captivity by the Assyrians. They ended up in Babylon like many other groups of people. And it, Babylon was a fragmented place. It was all, all kinds of different people, uh, different languages, customs, worldview, values, it's just immense diversity. It's everything you find in city life. Listen, you'll find all of that here in High Wycombe. You just go walk down the Eden Center and see how many different languages you can hear on a short walk that are spoken. We have immense diversity. I mean, what a, what a brilliant opportunity we have. Wycombe is the most ethnically diverse town place, location in the whole of Buckinghamshire. The Israelites, you know, when they were in Babylon, were longing to go home. All they wanted to do was go home. And then in Jeremiah 29, you've got this line. Verse 4. This is what the Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel says. Sorry, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. To, to, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. I carried you. That's the point. I carried you. It was deliberate. God brought them there. This is no mistake. And then he tells them, you make your home here. Don't make your home in Jerusalem. You make your home here. They were on a huge mission opportunity and never saw it. Look, whatever you do, make the most of your opportunity here. Church, we are here for this town. Question, are you? They commit to the community in which God has brought them. Have you? We have a vision for this town because we're here. 
And God's heart is for the people here. And in your case, it's right here in Hazelmere, in this community. God has a heart for them. And you've always known that as part of the DNA, right from the word go of this church. So how do we do this? Well, quite simply, we're called to be witnesses. Be witnesses. Now, when I was young, if you were to witness, that meant you went out on the streets and you gave somebody the gospel full frontal, right between the eyes. That was, that was called witness, evangelism. It's, but that's not it. It means the whole of your life. It's your attitude, your kindness, your purpose, your care, your understanding. It's the whole of your life. That's why Jesus tells them, wait. Wait for the gift my Father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then verse 8 goes, but you will receive power. Can you just say that word with me? Power. You receive power. Let's say that again. Power. You receive power. When the, Holy, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Gordon Fee is a brilliant, articulate theologian in the US of A. He's unusual, they say, because you've got an articulate theologian, and he's brilliant, and he's Pentecostal. So they, they, they find that amusing. And he says the early church understood themselves, first and foremost, as the people of the Spirit. You're back in Exodus 33. Moses is coming, taking the people through the wilderness, out, coming out of Egypt, and he says to God, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not send us up from here. What else will distinguish me and all your people from all the other people on the face of the earth. What else? What else but your presence? The Holy Spirit's not a topic to be discussed. He's a person to be encountered. You need to know him. My friends, you need to know him, not just about him. He's not an addendum to the Christian life. Don't ever think that. He's no optional extra. He's essential. You want power in your life? It's essential. He's to be experienced. There's a powerful presence in your life. The early church understood this. You know, when the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit in, in chapter 2 of Acts, Peter gets up and he explains. And he says, this is what was spoken about by the prophet Joel. In other words, it's not a mere incident. You know, it, 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 it isn't just a happening this is prophecy being fulfilled. A people of the Spirit. It takes a people of power to live the Christian life. You should receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You need power to live. You need power to grow. You need power to thrive. Power to flourish. He doesn't tell them to go and live a good life. He doesn't do that. You can't live the Christian life in your own strength. He tells them to be filled with the Spirit. You know, people of the Spirit. How do I love people more? I need to be filled with the Spirit. How do I forgive people more? I need the power of the Spirit. How do I resist temptation? I need the power of the Spirit. How do I overlook an offense? You know, that offense. How do I do that? By the power of the Spirit. It takes power to live the Christian life. To be witnesses involves the whole of your life. He's with you wherever you go. 
You know, so when you're at work or at home or uh, with your neighbors or whatever, and then a little question comes, well, what, what, what are you doing at the weekend? Actually, I'm, I'm going where I often go. I overgo. Always go there. It's, uh, I'm going to the King's Church. I'm going to church. Oh. And then they begin to put the pieces together about you. Ah. That's why you are. That's why you're different. Sometimes you get special occasions. You get significant moments. We had one about a, just over a year ago. Due to the sensitive nature of the personal story which Neil shared at this point in the message, it has not been included in the recording. We're people of the spirit, my friends. And you'll get moments like this. Not like that, I trust, maybe. But you'll get moments like this. And five minutes with somebody and something all opens up. And oh, wow. It's the presence of God. We're people of the spirit. We take the presence of God wherever we go. We want to genuinely... Genuinely bring the presence of God into other people's lives. Being filled with the Spirit, it's just the beginning. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul tells the church to keep being filled. When you were filled with the Spirit, was that your destination or was it a beginning? Keep being filled. Tonight we have an encounter evening. It's right here. We worship, we pray, and we do pray. And we're taking opportunity. To pray for people to be filled with the Spirit. And you will be my witnesses. How do we do that? In the power of the Spirit. Where do we do that? We do it right where we live. A little bit more of that tonight. Bless you. <laughs>